you take your Bibles out, I want you to turn to the book of James. Because I, I believe that, um, that God is at, he's at work in ways and times that we don't even see it. You know, when, when we did, we presented the gospel the other night, there were over a thousand people there listening to this, you understand. And we just did a corporate prayer just like we did this morning. And I believe what happened in the spirit, it's just like the Bible says we sow seeds and some of it falls on good ground. When you sow seeds into the ground, it, it is germinated and it breaks forth and it begins to grow, but you don't see it. I believe that happened in the hearts and lives of people Friday night. Could have happened this morning when we pray. It happens when you share Jesus in your walk, in your talk. You're sowing seeds, and that seed sometimes will break open and begin to grow, and you don't even see that you've done anything other than just what Jesus told you to do. I came in this morning, was greeting people, and there was a young lady that told me something that just, it brought me to tears. I was just choking them back because it was such an exciting report. Because I was preaching a couple of weeks ago, and this young lady that was in our congregation was not a Christian. In fact, she was anything, she was the opposite of a Christian. But she'd come with some friends, and God began to work in her heart. That seed began to crack open, I believe. Because she came up to me afterwards and said, and, and I asked her, I said, well, you're a Christian. She said, no, I'm not. She said, but the things you said this morning, it's, it made me think. I'm thinking about the things you're saying. And then God began to orchestrate things in her life, missing her plane, missing this and that. And she is on her way home and an Uber driver turns around and hands her a Bible and says to her, God is going to use you and gives her some specific details about how God's going to use her. She, she gets home and the, the sky is cloudy and one beam of light shines through the clouds onto her. And she calls her friend and says, all right, I think God might just be real. And her friend says, read the book of John. And, and I forget the other book. And she calls back up and says, I've read the book of John. Now what? Church, I'm telling you something. You just be Jesus to people. When we're seeing the report about the Samaritan's person, Mark made the comment about people that, are, that would not normally get along. They're, they're coming together around this. I'm seeing that more and more, that our differences, we're not focusing on what separates us. We're focusing on Jesus. All right, if we would just love the Lord and love each other and not focus on what separates us and divides us, I think that's just a pretty good idea. And there's some very valuable things that God, tools and gifts that he's given us, that if we learn to use them, that they will benefit you, they will benefit other people, they'll benefit the kingdom of God, they'll benefit the world. And I'm going to be talking about some of that this morning. Now, as I was thinking about the message today, I was brought to remembrance a good friend of ours, some of you know him. Years ago, when we started the church in the old sanctuary, in the old section of the building, none of this was here then. There was a couple that came in, and the sanctuary, if you remember, was just long and narrow, and they'd always sit right over here to my left. They stood out from day one. There was just something about them. The man's name was Jeff, and his wife's name was Lisa Lane. How many of you remember Jeff and Lisa Lane? 
I can't honestly say that there was a single person in this church that did not just absolutely love and adore that couple. Am I right? They were just precious. They had such a level of commitment and love for the Lord. And uh, he worked for Westinghouse and that company, I believe the, the demonic company, they transferred him to Atlanta, Georgia. I'm still praying that God will just turn that around, bring them back home, you know, because I, it broke my heart when he told me, well, my company's transferring me, and they moved away, but I really loved them. Well, Jeff, he was in the Navy, and he told me a little bit about what it was like. He, he was on a nuclear submarine, and he said the thing that he remembered the most about being on a nuclear sub is the drills. He said they had drill after drill after drill, almost daily sometimes, that had engineering drills, shipwide drills, fire control party drills, flooding drills, drill after drill, with a crew combating a never-ending affliction of things that could go wrong. They had drills uh, combating casualties in case they had injuries during uh, a combat situation. They had um, drills that, that uh, if they something took down and crippled the reactor or the propulsion system, how they could restore to full operation as quick as possible. Then they had ship-wide drills they called hot runs. This was an emergency drill when they were in combat situations. Everybody's at their battle stations, and so they would try to anticipate every type of malfunction that could damage their ship or injure them during a battle situation. Now, when I thought about that, I thought, why would you have so many drills like that on a, a, a nuclear submarine? And so I did a little research. The Ohio-class SSBN sub is the largest submarine in the United States Navy. It carries the largest payload of any other uh, military vessel that we have. The Ohio-class submarine, nuclear submarine, carries 24 Triton II D5 nuclear missiles, each with eight what they call MIRV, MIRV. It's a multi-independent re-entry vehicle. Each warhead is a, has approximately 400 kilotons of explosive yield. The explosive power equivalent to 400,000 tons of TNT. Just one warhead of the, Triton, of the Triton is 25 times more powerful than the A-bomb that we dropped on Hiroshima. They have a range of 4,000 to 7,000 nautical miles. That's a long ways to travel. And from what I can understand about it, when they launch these missiles, they go to an extremely high elevation. And then when they make the re-entry, they, they, they must deploy these different uh, re-entry vehicles. There's at least 14 Ohio-class submarines, which carries 50% of the United States' active stock of thermonuclear warheads. The submarine can sit off of a coast submerged for up to three months at a time. It could sit there longer than that. But the only reason it can stay there three months at a time is because that's all the food and supplies that they can get on board this ship. If they could get more food and supplies, they could stay there longer. And the thing about it is it could sit right off of the coast of an enemy country. Nobody would even know that it's there. It could 
surface, fire all of its missiles, resubmerge and hide, and you would never even know it was there, and there is nothing you can do to stop it. Now, you say, why are there so many drills? Having a person on a submarine with that kind of power that doesn't know what he's doing is a really, really bad idea. <laughs> Has anybody ever seen the movie called Crimson Tide starring Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman? You ever seen that movie? I re- Well, it, it's, it's a movie that kind of talks about what this would be like. And some people ask the question, was that movie based on a true story? It was made in 1995. The submarine was called the Alabama. The acting captain was Captain Reams. He played by Gene Hackman. And his untested ex- executive officer, Lieutenant Commander Hunter, was Denzel Washington. And what happened was that they received a signal that there had been a coup d'etat in Ukraine, I believe it was, and a group of people was taking over a missile silo uh, from the Russians and was going through the procedure of launching the missiles on America. And so in the movie, they received orders from the White House to launch their missiles on Russia. So they're going through the process of launching these missiles when a second order came in, but their antenna was damaged and they couldn't get the rest of the order. So the movie is about the captain saying, I have orders in hands, we're pushing the button. And Denzel Washington says, we shouldn't do that until we know what the second message was. And basically there was a mutiny on board this nuclear submarine. Denzel Washington shut down the operation. And when the second message came through, it was actually a message saying, uh, we have, we've neutralized the threat, don't launch your missiles. But it, sh- it showed what, how dangerous something can be if you don't do the right thing with the power that's been placed in your hands. Now, actually, it was uh, partly inspired by true events that happened during the Cuban Missile Crisis. It happened on a Russian submarine against a possible American target. It was the closest we ever came to a nuclear war. So I'm going to say it again. Having a person on a submarine with that kind of power that doesn't know what he's doing is a really, really bad idea. How could a person live with the knowledge that he or she has misused their power and caused so much harm in the world? Now, none of us have been given the command of an Ohio nuclear submarine capable of annihilating an entire civilization. And whatever you think about nuclear warheads, I don't know where your position is on that and our nuclear capability. Personally, I think that it is good to lead from a position of strength, not from a position of weakness. It would be great if there was no such thing as nuclear warheads. And the day will come, the Bible says, when we will beat our swords into plowshares and the lion will lay down with the lamb and the children will play on the cockatrice den. But that day hasn't come. And until it does, there are evil people that intend evil things. And the only thing that keeps them at bay is your ability to have more power to stop them than they have to, to attack you. So we, we rule and we lead in the, in the world from a position of strength. So in that context, nuclear warheads actually serve a purpose. They are a deterrent. And that deterrent also gives us the ability to do humanitarian things around the world, which we do as a powerful nation. So it actually serves a good purpose. 
But it can also be a very, very evil thing if it's placed in the hands of the wrong people. It can bring total devastation and destruction. Now, we're not commanding a nuclear sub, but each of us has a powerful gift that's capable of doing very, very good things, and it's also capable of doing very, very evil, bad things. We find it in the book of James in chapter 3. I'm going to begin at verse 8, if you would help me back there in the back. Verse 8. It says, but no one can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil. It is full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men. Who was made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. So this morning, we're going to have a drill. I believe that repetition is our best teacher. Some of you have heard me teach on this before. I don't believe that I teach on it enough, actually. And so from time to time, I believe it's important that I remind you of these things. We go through the drill again so that you know how to properly use this powerful, powerful thing, this force that God has given you. And I think you're going to learn something this morning that I haven't brought out in the past. Because there's a fundamental principle that that has been in force since the foundation of the earth. Since God created the heavens and the earth. And that force that God has given us was meant for good. And it's still capable of doing great things when it's in the hands of a person that knows how to use it. But it's also a very, very evil thing when it is misused. Because the single most powerful force on the earth is not our nuclear arsenal. Believe it or not. The, most, the single most powerful force on the earth is your words. It's your speech. It's the speech of men. So this is a drill. Everybody man your battle stations. Let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that the lessons we learned this morning, Lord, they they are so important for the body of Christ to know and understand because in my lifetime, God, I have seen this so misused in society, in the world, and even in the church, even by myself, Lord. And for that, I I humbly repent, God. And I pray, Lord, as it's a lifelong process of learning how to be more and more like you, Jesus, I pray that this morning, God, that the words that I speak will teach us, God, how to be more and more like you and how to use this very powerful force in the right way, God. We don't want to be on board something that has so much power and use it recklessly. So teach us today, God. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, I want you to look at it with me. It said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. Verse 3, I want you to see this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Look at verse 6. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the water, and let it divide the water from the water. Verse 9, and God said, let the water under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Verse 10 said, and God called the dry land earth, and he gathered together the waters. He called the sea, and he saw that it was good. Verse 11, and God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herbs, yielding seed, and the fruit 
trees yielding fruit after their kind, whose seed is in itself under the earth, and it was so. Verse 14, then God said, let there be a light in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let there be for signs and seasons and days and years, and let them be for a light in the firmament of the heaven to give light on the earth, and it was so. Verse 20, and God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that hath life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Verse 22, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let the fowl multiply in the earth. Now, how did God bless them? The Bible says that he blessed them. He spoke it. He spoke a blessing. Verse 26, we see it again. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 28, he says, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the sea of the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Now, what is happening here? God is creating something. The word create actually means to make something out of nothing. And we believe in a creator. We don't believe that this all evolved out of some amoeba. The Bible says God said light be and light was. Just like that. Now, there's all kinds of theories about how all of this came about. You have the old earth theory, the young earth theory. And there's debates that goes back about those things you know is the earth millions of years old is it 6,000 years old and we don't get into all those debates I have my opinions you have yours but what we do know is however it happened in the beginning God created it and the way he created it is he didn't make it out of something he said let this be and it was That is the most powerful force known to man, was the words of God. When he says it, it happens. And ladies and gentlemen, God has given you that same power. There is creative power in your spoken words. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that you cannot see. You make things out of nothing. It's things you don't see. Verse 2 says, For by it the elders obtain a good testimony. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen We're not made of things which are visible. There's an unseen force that makes things happen in the natural realm when we speak words of faith out into the spirit realm. That's what God did. He spoke words into the spirit realm and it made things happen in the natural realm. And he is making a direct connection between creation, your word, and reality. When he says faith is the substance of things hoped for, and he goes right into that and saying, because we understand that all of these things that we see in the natural was made by things that we don't see in the spirit. And the way that was done was by what he said. If you say it and you believe it, 
Church, I'm telling you, there's a force that goes into action. And it can be a very, very good thing. It can be a very, very dangerous thing. We don't need to be walking on board this nuclear sub not knowing what we're doing. That is a really bad idea. So we need to learn how to use this thing and how to use it properly. Amen? Because when you say something and you believe it, it happens. You're putting faith in what you say. When God placed them into the garden, he said, out of all the trees you may freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you may not eat of it, for the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. He spoke that out. There was a death sentence if you eat of that tree because he said so. We know that the serpent came along and said, hath God said you may not eat of this tree? He said, yes, we can't eat of it. We can't even touch it lest we die. And the serpent said, you shall not die. For God doth know in the day that you eat thereof, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And she believed him and acted on those words. And we are living the results of that decision to this day. Because a curse came on her. A curse came on man. Because she said she turned and gave to her husband who was with her and he did eat. God comes to the garden in the cool of the Edom and said, Adam, where are you? And he said, we hid ourselves for we are naked. He said, who told you you are naked? Have you eaten of the tree? He said, the woman that you gave me gave it to me and I did eat. The woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And so God, one by one, pronounces a curse on all of them. You'll, you'll till the soil by the sweat of your brow. It will give thorns and thistles. He cursed the earth. Cursed man, said, woman, you will have pain and childbearing, and your, and your desire will be to your husband. He cursed the serpent. On your belly shall you go, and the dust of the earth shall you eat all the days of your life. And he prophesied. This is important. He prophesied in Genesis 3.15. He says, and I will put enmity between you and between the woman. He didn't say between the man. I will put enmity between you and between the woman. And you will bruise his heel and he will destroy you. He will crush your head or bruise your head. And it was the first prophecy of the coming Messiah who would destroy him. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. So Hebrews chapter 11 Verse 1 through 3 tells us, faith is an unseen force. We know that the worlds were framed by the word of God because of the direct connection between faith, creation, and words. We see that put into the hands of people that we have that power in Mark chapter 11. These are the words of Christ. If you look at verse 21 with me, Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whosoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say unto you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe you receive them and you will happen. You will have them. So what happened to the fig tree? Let's back up to verse 13. And seeing from afar off a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. 
And in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So Jesus is coming along. He sees this fig tree and he's wanting a fig off of it. Then there's none there. And I don't, and, and there was not supposed to be any there apparently because it wasn't time for it. But for the point of making this revelation known to them, he spoke to that fig tree and says, nobody will ever eat a fig off of you ever again. And by the time they came back through, this thing had withered up. And Peter's like, whoa, look at that. And Jesus is saying to him and to you and to me, this is a principle that has been around since the beginning of time. If you believe something and you speak it and you doubt not in your heart, you will have what you say. Because there's a creative power in your words when you apply faith to those words. Now, I would like to use those to bless people. That's a good thing. But you can use that same power to curse people. And that's what James is saying. Out of the same mouth proceeds both blessing and cursing. With our mouth, we bless God and we curse men. He said, my brother, these things ought not so to be. So forgetting that principle and not taking hold to it, it's like a guy that's reckless on a nuclear sub that doesn't know what he's doing. That's a really bad idea. Come on, having Christians running around with this great force and this great power that God has given us, not knowing what to do with it and using it recklessly has ripped the church apart. A lot of people, they, they think a church is a mockery. And it's because a lot of the stuff we haven't really learned how we should use this. You've been given a great power, a great force. It's, an, it's just so important that we learn how to use these things. And we use them in balance. In other words, God told me, I can say unto that mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, doubt not in your heart, believe the things you say. I have never known of anybody to cast a mountain in the ocean. That's, that's never, he's using it metaphorically for an example. You speak to the mountains in your life, though I have spoke to the mountains in my life, and they have been cast into the sea. Are you hearing me? You can go over it, you can go around it, you can try to drill through it, or you can stand there and say, get out of my way. And it has to go. And so we need to learn how to use that. But listen, people have misused this. There have been people that have taken hold of this principle and say, money cometh. And expect wealth to fall in their lap. Or you can be driving down the road, some guy to cut you off in traffic, and you say, tires be flattened in Jesus' name. It does. There is a balance in how this is used. Are you hearing me? Come on. I know y'all probably done stuff like that. 1 John 5, 14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have the petition that we have asked of him. So there is a balance in this. And we need to learn how to use that balance lest we be like a reckless man on a nuclear sub that doesn't know what he's doing. Really bad idea. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I preached a sermon a long time ago called From the Garden to the Throne. 
from the Garden of Eden to the throne, and it was just a kind of a flyover panoramic view of God's plan for man. I had some people come back and say, that was so informative, and I'm not going to go through all of it this morning, but not only did God create the earth and Adam and all the things in the garden through the spoken word, the Bible says that he created the first Adam and he created a second Adam. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterwards, the spiritual. Verse 47, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was man of the dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, that's a sermon in itself. Aren't you glad that you got an earthly body? But not only that, I walk in the image of Jesus Christ. I walk in the image of a heavenly being, and so do you. The Bible says if the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken your mortal. It makes your mortal body alive. You become a spirit being. The minute that you trusted Jesus, your spirit, which was dead, all the way from the garden, came to life. And the life, an eternal being, you became an eternal being at that point. When this old shell ceases to exist and it's getting older every day, amen, my spirit will go on to the presence of God. My spirit will never cease to exist. It's a living being made in the image of Jesus Christ. That's what that's talking about. But what I want you to see is how did the first Adam get here? God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. I don't believe that he got down there and made played with mud pies and make, made Adam. God said it and whoo, Adam stood up out of the dust. And he was formed. You want to know what God looks like? Look around you. We are made in his likeness and in his image. He looks like us. The Bible talks about his heads, hands, arms, and all those things. And we're made like that. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, was made the same way. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Look at it with me. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they became together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Actually, it's Yeshua. Actually, the real name is Joseph, which means the Savior, our Savior. That's the English translation, Jesus. Yeshua is the Greek. Um, His name shall be Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done. Now, this is what I want you to get that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. How did Jesus come into being? 
The same way the first Adam came into being. God spoke him into existence through the mouth of the prophets. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God spoke through Isaiah, the second Adam, into being. He spoke through Amos. He spoke through Jeremiah. He spoke to many of the prophets. And Jesus became who he was. And all through the book of Matthew, Matthew is a gospel written mainly to the Jewish people. He says over and over, this was done that it might be fulfilled what the prophets have said. Well, who who are the prophets speaking for? God is speaking through them. Church, what I want you to see today God still speaks through you and through me. Blessings over people and cursings. And we need to know how to use this because it can be very reckless in your hands. It's in your hands. You have no choice. It's been given to you. That force is yours. You have that power. You don't have a vote. How are you going to use it? That's the question. Are you going to use it wisely or are you going to be a reckless man on a nuclear sub not knowing what you're doing? (laughs) Bad idea. We see, I'm going to wrap it up here. We see the two best examples that I see of how this principle is put into action with the woman with the issue of blood. How many of you remember that story? For 12 years, this woman had a flow of blood and she couldn't get any better. The Bible says that she'd spend all of her money on physicians and she was no better. And she heard about Jesus. And the Bible says, and she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know that I will be made whole. What did she just do? She believed something and she spoke it out into the realm of the spirit. And then she acted on it. She was considered an unclean person. And under Jewish law, She couldn't come in contact with other people. Now, Jesus at this point was walking with the the, uh, ruler of the synagogue. This is the very man that could pronounce her death if she violates the law and comes in contact with other people. But she believed what she said so much that she violated that law and pushed her way through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. Jesus stopped. And said, who touched me? And Peter said, Lord, everybody's touching you. And he said, no, virtue left my body. And turning around and discovering her, he said, woman, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go your way. And instantly, the blood flow was dried up. What did she do? She believed something. She spoke it into the spirit. It became a reality in the natural. We see another example of the centurion that came to Jesus and said, my servant is lying at the point of death. And Jesus said, I'll come with you. He said, no, Lord, I am not worthy that you would come under my roof. I am a man of authority like you. I say to this one, go and he goes. I say to this one, come and he comes. If you will just say the word, I know my servant will be made whole. And Jesus backed up and looked at him and he marveled, the Bible said. He said, I have not seen so much faith. What did he just witness? A man who believed something and he said it. And Jesus knew there's no power in the universe that's going to stop that man from getting what he just said. Jesus recognized faith. 
He said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Jerusalem. And I say to you that there's going to people coming from the east and the west, Gentiles he's talking about, and sit at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there will be some of the children of the kingdom that will be cast into outer darkness. He was talking about you and me at that point. There's going to be people that are not of a Jewish descent that's going to come into the kingdom, that's going to have that kind of faith while some of the Jewish people who reject Messiah are going to be cast into outer darkness is what he's saying. And he says to him, go your way as you have believed, be it unto you. And the Bible says that in that instant, his servant was made whole. Church, that is the example of the power that's been around since the beginning of creation It's always been here, and it is still here today. And if we can just get our mind wrapped around what I say is so critically important. I need to put a guard over my mouth to make sure that what I say is a blessing. Now, if I need to curse something, because there are, I mean, Jesus spoke some curses. He spoke it over the fig tree. You have that power, but brother, you better know that you are in the will of God when you do that. Because you're, you're pushing the button on a nuclear warhead when you shouldn't. You're misusing that power. But if you realize that you have that power, you can do so much good with it. Being, believing what you say can be a blessing, can be a cursing. And we don't want to surface and shoot all of our missiles and then resubmerge and just wait for the explosion. And a lot of people do that, man. They throw those words out there. They could care less the damage that it's going to do. Come on. We can look in the mirror and say, boy, he is talking about me. Because we're all guilty of that. This thing, I mean, we say things. We, we say it to injure people. We, we want to hurt them. We speak out of our hurt. We speak out of frustration. We speak out of disappointment. We speak out of all different reasons why we want to lash out at people. Now, I had, I had like five more pages of notes. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get this in in one sermon. So I think I may even actually build on this next week and talk about some very specific ways how you can use this that's going to benefit you. But what are you speaking over people? What are you speaking over yourself? Because this, this same principle applies to you. You know, I realized one day I was always waiting for the hammer to fall. And I would say, man, everything's going good. What's getting ready to go wrong? You know what that's going to do? Something's going to go wrong. Why? Because I believe it is. And I'm saying it's going to. And then when something goes wrong, I knew it. <laughs> And God is like, well, you brought it on yourself. You brought it on yourself. And I had to realize, and I was reading Psalms 23, and I read, and goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that went off inside of me. I'm like, Lord, I'm always waiting for the hammer to fall, speaking curse after curse after curse over myself, wondering why everything always blows up on me. When you said, goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. Here's a pretty good idea. Why don't I say about me what you said about me? Amen. So I started to change my speech about myself. 
Because what you say about yourself, it affects you. What people say about you affects you. My dad used to say things, Bernie, you only hear what you want to hear. Well, guess what I'm going to listen to? What I want to hear. What? Because he just spoke a curse over me. He believed it. He spoke it. And I'm like, he, I'm like, speak to the hand because I'm not listening. Now, he meant it for well. He's trying to get me to stop doing that. His intentions were good, but his approach is entirely wrong. And I'll talk about that maybe next week, unless it's true, all right? There is some truth in some of this, and I'll get into the details of it later, but I believe that. So I had an attitude, and then I went to work for a very, very abusive man that kind of just built on that. Statements like, why do you always do everything the hard way? And by the time I finished working for this guy, I thought I was the dumbest brick on the planet. I had no confidence whatsoever in myself. I was just a whipped down, defeated dog. And I'm still working for the guy, and he meant it for well, good too. He was trying to push me to be more than I was. His intentions were good. His approach was entirely wrong. And then I went to work for a guy, and his name was Junior Fulmer. He was an old country boy, had big old hands, used to be the biggest thug in the county. This little community would always get in fights with this community. They'd meet on this bridge and fist fight, and they'd always go get Junior because he'd like take two or three on himself. He got mad one day and talking about the, the abusive boss that I had. I won't name, name him, but he had done something to my, my fitter, Junior, and Junior, he was like, he better thank God that Jesus changed my life. He said, I can remember the day I'd have went down there and turned that shack over with him in it. And he could and would have too. Junior was a man from head to toe. One day I had some pipe dope. Anybody know what pipe dope is? It's, it's a can with a brush in it. And it's some gooey, gooey stuff you put on pipe threads to screw it in so it doesn't leak. And now, I mean, you get it on you, you can't hardly get it off. And I had a big gob of it, and I went to put it on his arm. Just being a dumb kid, you know, prankster, he's like, if you do that, I'm going to stick it in your ear. You don't dare me. I went, guess what he did? (laughs) He stuck it in my ear. He grabbed me as like I was in a vice. I'm like, good Lord. But he would make me do everything. I thought, this is the laziest man on earth. He'd make me do everything. And what I didn't realize is he was teaching me. He, he, was a, he was a journeyman, pipe fitter, and instrumentation. When I went to work in the office, I first worked for an engineer. And he taught me how to read isometrics and, and, and uh, schematics and P&I drawings and all that. So I learned some very valuable things from day one. And then, but I didn't realize what was going on. Then I went to work for this guy. He was the only man in the entire pipe department that knew instrumentation, and he taught it to me. And his uncle got sick, and he left, and he had to go do some work for his uncle. And he said, Bernie, you're the only man on this whole project that knows how to do this. If I find out you're doing this for help or pay, I'm going to come up here and whip you. So you make that man give you the money. You deserve it. And, and they sent a pipe fitter up there, and he bent the whole pipe. There was a mountain of tubing in the floor. He had bent up and none of it fit. He throwed the benders in the floor because he'd tell me, well, how do I do this? I said, you're the man making the money. You, you're not supposed to know how to do You do it. Because I didn't want Junior to come up there whipping me. He would have. And so finally, the, the abusive boss I had come over, he said, what's going on? I'm like, well, I'm just a helper. He's the man supposed to know how to do the job. He tells me what to do, not the other way around. He said, all right, what do you want? I said, I want a raise. 
And he, he gave me one. Right? And I was on my way to becoming a journeyman. But this is what Junior did. Every day without fail. I'm not kidding. Every day without fail, he would say two things to me. Bernie, it behooves a man to seek God. He would say that every day. He was an old Pentecostal holiness man. Wagner, South Carolina. I went to his church one time and Jeannie wore a pair of pants in there and that was not a good idea. <laughs> they were old Pentecostal holiness. You didn't cut your hair. You didn't wear makeup. You didn't wear jewelry. And you definitely didn't wear a pair of pants. You wore dresses. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you ever been in black, and we didn't know, you know, I said, well, we just went to go to church with him. Like, man, she was getting a stink eye big time, boy. <laughs> but he would tell me every day, Bernie, it behooves a man to seek God. And he would tell me every day without fail, boy, you tough as a government mule. And he built such confidence in me. But the time he left, I believe there was nothing in the construction world that I couldn't do and have carried that ever since. The difference is people speaking a blessing over you, people speaking a curse over you. You have that power. How are you going to use it? Church, you need to realize that the awesome force that you have. And let's start putting that into practice and start speaking words of faith, believing for deliverance, for healing, for the power of the Spirit to operate, for words of knowledge, words of wisdom. You know, why is an Uber driver driving down the road and a total stranger gets in his back seat and he turns around and hands them a Bible and says, God is going to use you to do, and start speaking. Where does that come from? It's a force and a power that you have. And if we start to believe that and we start to put it into practice, what can we see God do in our lives and the lives of others? Amen? Amen. Come on, I've just given you some tools here. If we learn, come on, we need to have a drill every once in a while, learn how to use these things. Right? We need to learn how to use these things. Now, I'm just going to stop right there. Amen? Praise the Lord. Stand to your feet. Everybody say this with me. I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed coming out. I'm blessed when I get up in the morning. I'm blessed when I go to bed at night. I'm blessed while I'm sleeping. I'm blessed while I'm awake. I will be a blessing. And not a curse. I will use the power that God has given me to bless myself and to bless others. It will be enforced by the God of the universe. Because it's not my plan. It's his. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org. God bless.